You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable blade knives, fixed blade knives, and game processing kits. Now, we've all been there before, trying to field dress your wild game with a dull knife. This is where Outdoor Edge really steps in. With the Razor Safe system, you can have a brand new razor sharp blade with just the push of a button. No more dull blades and no more problems processing your wild game. To check out all of the products from Outdoor Edge, visit OutdoorEdge.com. And at checkout, enter the discount code NATION30. That's N-A-T-I-O-N-3-0 for 30% off of your purchase. Hey folks, wherever you're listening to this podcast right now, chances are your deer season is in full swing. Hopefully things are going well for you. And if you're one of the folks that took the time and preparation to plant some real-world wildlife products food plot blends, chances are you're having a great success. We here at Pro Talk Outdoors love our real-world products, whether it's the clover chicory blend, whitetail harvest salad, deadly dozen, the Gen 2 soybeans that are always a dynamite hit all the way through the season. Chances are, if you've got one of those plots out, you're having great success. If not, better luck next year, folks. Let's get them in. Go to realworldwildlifeproducts.com for more information on how you can improve your season. That's what I call pro talk. When you really don't know the answer, you just make it up. My rut is that I am in a rut. To get the pilot of Red Arrow going. There's really a way to skip class. I want to say, hey, those boys right there in the <laughs> That's the nicest thing anybody's ever said on this podcast. Alex Rose here with American Roots Outdoors TV. Hey, this is Leanne Tiffany Lukowski from the Crest TV. Hi, I'm Don Higgins. This is Jeff Lindsay. Hey, everybody, this is Mark Dury with Dury Outdoors. Hey, this is Craig Fitz with Crane Assassins TV. You're listening to Dave and JP on Pro Talk Outdoors, the craziest two I know. Hey everybody, welcome to Pro Talk Outdoors. It's a November episode. Uh, not exactly sure. Love November. Love November. Sweet <laughs> November. Uh, not sure when this is going to hit your ears. Uh, it's the 17th today. I'm assuming it'll probably still hit in November. Yeah, should. Uh, man, a lot has happened in the last two weeks. Obviously, uh, everybody loves when that calendar flips. Um, somebody was asking me today, actually, what do you consider early season, mid season, late season? Guys at work will come in in my office and they'll see some outdoor-related stuff or they'll hear things, and everybody and their mother knows it's deer season right now. And they say, well, is this considered uh, early season? 
I said, not at all. I said, this is mid-season. I mean, the early season to me starts in the summer before season, quote-unquote, right, ever right, comes yeah. in. And to yeah. me, you know, mid-season is kind of that few days leading into Halloween and pretty much through Thanksgiving. Yeah, I, and I think, I it's, I that, think yeah. from Thanksgiving on, it's late season. I, w- I would agree. I would agree with that 100%. So this will probably hit at the start of late season. So we're going to recap what's been an action-packed mid-season. Um, Savannah shot an awesome deer. You guys talked yep. about that recently. Yep, we did. We She sure did. Um, I went to Illinois for the first time. Yeah, man. It, it, On a hunting. Well, I've been to Illinois before, but never to hunt. <laughs> and it'll ruin a man. I, it, it sure will. It, well, I was I – was, uh, Chatting a little bit with old Dave Highsmith there a little bit earlier. Oh, really? He was texting me congratulations, uh, you know, earlier. And we, we got to talking about your uh, your hunt over there oh. on the island. He Well, let's let's start this off. Uh, whether he listens to this or not, he listens to a million things. Um, we're not Joe Rogan, so he, he may not tune in as quick. But uh, he's, a, he's a hell of a dude. He's always been great to me, uh, great to, to anybody he knows, truthfully, that deserves it. Uh, he, he doesn't help out turds, but he's, a, he's, <laughs> he's just a good dude, very, very generous heart. And uh, he and I were made quick friends years ago uh, just on the, the whitetail passion. And uh, he invited me last year to go to what he's, he's called Harper Island. It's an 80-acre piece of land in the middle of the Illinois River. And it's the very last thing in Pike County before you get to the next county east. It's literally as east as you can go in Pike County. Uh, you know, so you park the truck in the next county over. You air up a rubber boat, 10-foot rubber boat. You throw a battery in it and a trolling motor on this plastic transom. You ease it out into this little cove. And you take off and you go down the Illinois River for... 15 minutes, roughly, going with the current. You get there pretty quick. You know, you take a, you, you veer left, and you pretty well just dock that boat on the east side of the island, and, and it's it's a essentially a, a creek at that point between the east side of the island and the mainland, uh, you know, to the east. It's not all that wide. Uh, bucks could easily cross it. No problem when water conditions are normal. Having never been there before, we get there, and I left the house at 2 a.m. in the morning, met him in Evansville, and we drove, and we're getting there as the sun comes up. Perfect So we're watching the sun rise, and the last five miles going through big-time ag country. It's nothing but row crop after row crop. A bunch of them have been harvested. Some of them have not. We saw four different bucks in the last five miles between just where we were driving and where we needed to go. Three of the four would have been considered giants here. I mean, one of the four was a mega giant. I mean, as, so, as like, Highsmith would say. Like how big you talking? I mean, you I'm, talking. I'm talking that deer was easy 160 inches. Okay. No problem. Okay. And you can see yeah. it from the truck. Easy. And in my opinion, that's a giant. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I know Don Higgins kills some mega giant 200-inch deer. But to 99% of the populations, 160 is a giant. That deer ain't walking. Yeah. No, under no circumstances. Right, yeah. So I'm already excited. It's cold. I mean, it's frigid out. We get out of the truck, and, I mean, you're instantly hit just like, woof, are we ready for this? You know, and I'm a ball of excitement, and all this is is just basically a campground, a muddy campground that nobody ever uses. It's so far off the beaten path, no cell service almost. Anyway, we get there, and his face 
just told a different story than what my heart was feeling at the time. And it was just stricken with worry. And he's a guy that's very enthusiastic. I mean, whitetail hunting is his passion. He's just stricken, and it, and it really just caught me off guard. And, and he's a man that's very witty, and he had nothing to say just for two, three, four minutes. It was the water was so high. And you could look around that campground and see just how high it was. I don't know how high it was. I don't think we ever pulled up a measurement to see where it was in comparison to normal. I think he estimated it was several feet high. Oh, wow. So you can associate what a river feels like when it's several feet high. Yeah, it's like like the Ohio gets blown out when you get a little bit of precipitation. Yeah. The Illinois is not quite the Ohio River, but it's a substantial body of water. So going downriver to get there, you got there pretty darn quick with that current going like that. was great. So we take two hours to get all our gear. We got tree stands, bows, all kinds of stuff loaded into this boat. And we're going through checklist after checklist. And then I realize, where's my quiver? Sitting in Evansville, Indiana in the back of my truck. Oh, my God. It's like a repeat of our fishing trip it's where like you go re- without your suitcase of clothes. When I get so excited to go somewhere for the first time to do something in the outdoors. Preparation be damned. I'm going with I, or without my gear. I turn into a dumbass. <laughs> I mean, I had every gadget, gizmo, and everything you could possibly think of except for my freaking arrows. I mean, it should be like number two or three on your list. Well, luckily, my Plano <laughs> had my two, two practice arrows. So I know they fly straight because I've been shooting them in a target. They've got nocturnals on the back of them that no longer light up, which whatever. But I have no broadheads. Luckily, Dave is a rage man, shoots the exact same broadhead I do. So he loaned me two rages. I've got no quiver. I found a spot in my backpack, and I shoved them down in there, and off we went. You know, so you're thinking already, gee whiz, what, what is this trip going to be like? Zoom down that river, and we get there, and it's like it's a different planet. Uh, this time of year, normally we've got no leaves left on the trees at all. Right. Uh, even, even the first week in November, we got there, we were there the 4th, uh, 5th, and the 6th. Excuse me, 3rd, 4th, 5th, something like that. Um, usually you've got a lot of defoliation that's going on. Not there. And really not here either. The leaves were way behind way behind. Here. We're almost a month behind. Almost a month behind. But when you get to the island, I don't know if it's soil composition or the moisture that's in the area. I don't I don't know. I'm I'm not smart enough on ecology to explain why. But it was green. At least here the leaves had changed colors and it was a beautiful golden orange everywhere here. And it was in a lot of places there, but the island was green and lush. Very little orange, very little yellow. And the undergrowth it's not at all what you would expect here, like a bunch of crunchy leaves everywhere and some logs and sticks and, you know, just some briars, but right. some open areas. That was not at all what you saw. Very few briars whatsoever. Not many logs or anything falling down, and damn sure very few leaves. A, because they hadn't fallen, and B, it was thick, lush, green undergrowth. It was like you had stepped into a planet that was on Star Wars. I wow. mean, I mean, and it was. And is it, you think it's because uh, does that river ever get up so high that it totally engulfs the it island? It does. It does on occasion. So it probably keeps a the, you know a lot of the debris right. washed off of it. So Dave has owned it for a couple years, and at one point in time, recently since he's owned it, it it flooded per se. I don't want to say the entire thing, but the north end at least flooded. So the north end kind of looks a little different, but you could tell a lot of that water had made it through the central and southern part of the island. 
Now, the southern part gets really, really thick. We didn't get all the way to the south. But just in scouting this island, I had picked an area, basically the, the most southern part of the central part of 80 acres that had an opening. A little clearing you could see from Google Earth and then one more clearing north of it. And I could tell, at least in my estimation, that would be a hub for any scent checking with the south wind. So if the south end is really as thick as what everyone thinks and sees, there's going to be a lot of bedding going on down there. And it's just natural that a buck would hug it, maybe not go into it, and scent check it as he loops through the island and checks other areas. So anyway, we, we dock the boat and we kind of come in central but north of there to check those kind of areas. And Dave showed me where his ladder stand is, where he's had some great hunts watching bucks cross that river. But one thing we noticed once we got there, there's nothing going to cross that river. A, the current's moving too fast. That water is too darn high. I mean, and it, it just looks like nothing would ever want to cross it. Right. I mean, it would unless have, it, they were in distress. Basically. It would take tremendous motivation to cross it, and under no circumstances is anything crossing from the west side over to where Jeff Lindsay owns in Pike County on the West Bank. Nothing. You're going to drown. That's how it was moving. So at that point, we realized the only bucks we're hunting are on this 80 acres right now, and it, it's not like shooting fish in a barrel either. 80 acres is a lot of land. And well, yeah, it, it and sure it can is. get really tricky, especially two guys hunting it. We take a hike across the island, and it's about 250 yards wide, maybe 220, something like that, 220, 250. So it doesn't take you long to get from east to west. We get almost all the way to the west, and we're at the north end of those two little clearings you could see from Google Earth. And I thought, man, this really looks good. Dave was telling me, man, there's a lot moves through the west side of this this little area. I said, well, I love where we're standing right now. I think this is where we need to hang this other set, this lock-on. He said, okay, let's get a little little further. We've got another 40, 50 yards to go to get to this West Bank. Come with me. We take three, four, five more steps, and all of a sudden we hear a commotion. And it's the commotion you know you've instantly jumped a deer. So we hit the dirt. We go straight down. We don't have releases on our wrists. We don't have arrows knocked. Nothing. So we drop down, and then you just hear, ch heavy footsteps and you're kind of peeking through some brush and this undergrowth is waist high when you're standing so when you're crouching on the ground i mean you're completely hidden right it can't see you but you can't really see it either you know so you're looking up and we just see bone 15 yards from us just a ton of bone and it's you can tell you know it's moving its head you can see it shifting takes a few more steps and dave picks one of my arrows out of his quiver we had stashed him there keep the boat from getting popped. And he hands one over to me, and I get my release on. So I get the arrow knocked, and you're still hearing this ch-ch get further away. And I get ready to draw back because I'm thinking, whatever this is, is heavy enough for me to shoot it. I can tell right now by the sound of it, you know. It gets far enough away. We grunt at it, and it won't come back in, but it's curious, doesn't know what the hell's going on, and it moves on. And so as it's moving on, we stand up a little clearer so we can see what's going on, and it's instant. That is a shooter without a shadow of a doubt and from that moment on that was the deer I wanted to kill I had no doubt in my mind I set my tree stand 30 yards from that bed and I had a chance to kill him on the last day and missed unbelievable the feeling to miss on that deer and really, I guess that part, you, you skimmed over part of that story. Well, I, where, I haven't told you the best part yet. Yeah, so I, I want to make sure you go back and visit that because that, to me, you know, 
I will. I just when it, I tell it the middle such part, an impression on it, even even Highsmith. You know when yeah. he was, what he went through on that hunt was next level. It I was mean, a, it was the most remarkable whitetail hunt I've ever been on, and I don't anticipate having one as remarkable as what that was. I'm, I have some that end better. I'm certain of that. I had one a few days ago that ended better, but the hunt. I mean, it's it's not even the same. Uh, but I wanted to tell the sad ending first, kind of like when sometimes you read the last page of a book before you go back and read the rest I don't, of it. I don't do that. Heck, I don't even read books, JP. I, I, just, I just want this build-up to make perfect sense <laughs> as, as to why it hurts so bad. It uh, still hurts. I feel like I'm going through a breakup. So we had that moment. We hang the set, hanging a lock-on in a crooked tree. It's the most unsafe lock-on I've ever hung. And I know Glenn Mayhew, if he listens to this episode, will be ashamed. It was safe enough to hunt. It had a lifeline in it. Getting to the point where it was safe enough to hunt in and having a lifeline in it was treacherous. It was 45 minutes of the most grueling lock-on I've ever hung in my life. I mean, it was painful. The tree crooked. I mean, my back's locking up in the tree. And, I mean, it's just, it was a difficult hang. Anyway, we go through the very first hunt, and I anticipated we had boogered the area I was setting up in. And I saw a couple deer, but it wasn't a whole lot of activity. All my activity happened in the last 15 minutes, and so did Dave's. He's about 150 yards east of me. So, you know, we've got roughly 40 to 50 yards on either side of us to get to water. And then that big gap of island in the middle. I have a doe that feeds in my area for a long time. She kind of looks over her shoulder a little bit. And then right at last light, a buck comes busting out of there. Probably 130-inch deer. Nice. He was tall, but he was narrow. Mass was getting there. But in my opinion now, looking back on that, I think he could have been a two-year-old because they're so freaking beefy over there. Yeah. You probably would have considered him a three-year-old here. We'll never know what he was. But he made a quick loop. I chose not to draw. I could have got him stopped. Did not. I had one deer on my mind and one deer only, and that was Bryce Harper. We had named him Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper, Harper, huh? Dave's daughter is named Harper, Harper Island. So I thought, Bryce Harper it is. This deer makes a quick jaunt back across the island, and I'm not sure what zigzagging he does, but that doe brings him directly underneath High Smith's tree stand directly underneath it and so that buck comes right after her and he gets to full draw and he saw enough height he was ready to shoot that deer and he was about to touch that release off when his string or his his release gave and it caused his string to lurch and fly off the bow arrow still just dangling off the tree or off the the bow so, I mean, what an eventful first day we've had. You know, oh. it goes dark. I get down, hike across the island, and he's distraught. He's got no spare bow with him. It's very late. He's got to make it back up river with a trolling motor and battery. He has no idea how it's going to fight against current. And he's dejected as hell because his bow just exploded. What are we going to do about hunting tomorrow morning? We get started on the journey, and obviously he's not in the best frame of mind. And we've got logs flying at us in the water before we ever make it around the crest of the island. And I'm thinking, man, we zoomed right here, and we're just putting along. And the island is still on my left as we're headed north, and I'm thinking, you know, that branch was here a minute ago. Now it's here. (laughs) It ain't going very far. It's not going very fast. And I'm with two lights trying to spot debris as we zigzag through the river. It took us over an hour to get back up the Illinois River to where we docked. So how far how far distance are we talking? I haven't mapped it. You think it's like a quarter mile? Or? I think it's a quarter mile. I mean, it took an hour. 
Ooh, and this is gosh. a 55 pound thrust trolling motor. So plenty of juice under normal conditions to get you there in yeah, you know probably man, 25 minutes, maybe 10 minutes. That's gotta be longer. unnerving because I mean if it gives out on you. I mean, you got You're a rubber raft. down the river. You got a rubber raft, too. That's all, so, that's all it is. So, I mean, you get debris floating down the river, and, I mean, something hits you just wrong, and, man, that could go. It could go south could in go a hurry, really, literally. Really bad south. Go south yeah. in a hurry. So, obviously, by the time we make it back to shore, his nerves are completely shot. I feel bad for him and his bow, but the water didn't bother me that bad. The experience that you and I had, and I told him this story that night, or maybe it was the next day, uh, on Toledo Bend, when I wasn't sure if we were going to live or die. That's how serious that was, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. uh, that we were caught in. So that just didn't – I trusted that we were going to make it, and I didn't worry. I was concerned about his bow. So we end up at a Dunham Sporting Goods and buy a base model $250 ready-to-hunt bow. No peep sight, no kisser button, nothing. We so did he damn Fitzgerald it? I mean, you just well, we get back get to out the, there and finger shoot it with the no beep or anything? Well, yeah, there's no loop either, no D-loop. Yeah. So get there, and we're in the hotel room, which, by the way, did not have hot water. Uh, we're like, man, what do we do? You know? I'm like, well, we got to hunt. And he says, I cannot hunt with this bow. I cannot, in good conscience, ethically go out there and hunt with this bow. He bought a target. He was ready. He could have sighted it in in the parking lot. And he made a decision right then it wasn't, the, it wasn't the thing to do. And I admire him for it. And even more impressive, when I reached out to Jeff Lindsay and he told me, listen, this archery shop in Pike County is the only place that's going to be able to help you, but they're not open until tomorrow like 10. Well, shit. It's the first week of November. You need to be in the woods at 10 a.m. Yeah. He made the decision, river conditions and all, to get up 345 in the morning with me, drive 25 minutes to the hunt location, launch the boat, and go all the way to the island with no weapon. And he laid on the bank for half a day while I hunted. That's how generous the man's heart is. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, gosh, JP, be honest with you, I think I might have just said, uh, dude, I'll drop you off at the boat here and I'll And that was, that was considered. Back, you know? That was considered. But that's when the river conditions came into play. And that was no longer an option because if he takes me, drops me, he's got plenty of juice to get back. You don't know about But him. he doesn't have enough juice to come back and get me and get us back again. So at that point, it was somebody's got to sacrifice. He did not want me to buy an out-of-state license, come all that way, and not get a chance to hunt as much as I possibly could. Yeah, so well, that's awful nice of him. Awful nice of him. So I'm sitting there, and it feels like a pretty good morning. And I see something 80 yards to my south, scooting. Not scooting in the way that a doe is scooting for trouble. Scooting in the way that a buck is looking for trouble. With his nose to the ground, and it's our boy Bryce Harper. Bleated. Didn't even act like he heard it. No response whatsoever. He cooks, makes a quick loop, and heads straight back south almost the way that he came. Just on the west side of the island, he's gone. The rest of the morning is pretty quiet. A couple little smaller deer, nothing to speak of, really. So we get down at noon. We head on back upriver, get his boat taken care of at Pike County Archery, and we're ready for the third day, right? So we get up the third day. His bow's sighted in. He's got a new string on it. He's feeling good. I've seen Bryce Harper two days in a row. We saw another 130-inch deer. We're thinking there could be God knows how many more bucks. Let's get out here and let's sit as long as we can. 
12, 1 o'clock, then make a decision on what we need to do. So we sit, and I the wind had shifted that day. It had gone from a kind of an easterly flow to a westerly flow. So it was going from west to, to east a little bit. South, It was a southwest wind is what it was, and it had been southeast. And I thought on the east side of the island, the way that wind was going to him, he was going to be busy. I thought deer are going to be on that east side of the island with all this wind carrying to him. And, man, he was. He had a great hunt that morning. All kinds of stuff coming in and out. And I had a little trickling through, nothing serious. At 11.40, he was considering pulling the plug on the hunt. He was like, well, you know, do we need to have lunch, regroup? I said, no, let's go till noon. I've seen too many deer between 11 and noon. At 11.40, Bryce Harper, like a ghost, appears in the center of the island, closer today but in the center of the island, and beds down 60 yards from his tree stand. And that's when the hunt was on. Four hours that deer stays bedded, gets up, spins, beds down and facing a different direction, gets bumped up by a little spike, beds back down. Four hours he's there. Yeah. And I'm it's... I'm telling Dave, the first doe that comes through here, he's going to jump up out of his bed. And sure enough, finally, at 3.30, a doe comes by and he was out of his bed at a snap of a finger. And he hops up and it's on. So he's instantly out of range of Dave. He's going the wrong way. But he's angling my way because that's what way the doe's going. And all of a sudden, he's within 60 of me, and he had been 120. Hangs up, bumps that doe, and she's not having it. So she takes off, and he's about to follow her. I'm bleeding. Nothing. No response. He gets a little further. I grunt at him and stopped him in his tracks, and he turns and looks. And I'm ready, thinking it's on. It's going to be 340, and I've got a big freaking buck coming in. Starts walking away again. I snort wheeze. You know, I'm all the way up the ladder at this point. I've grunted two different volumes. I've snort wheezed. He's not interested. And he walks all the way to the east bank, just in an area where I can watch his headgear just bounce through the woods. And he gets all the way to that bright sunshine, high pressure, and it's just gleaming on his rack. And four hours of sitting in that tree. We need to pee. We're thirsty. We're hungry. Just teasing me before he disappears. And I'm certain that's the last we've seen of that deer. The fun was just beginning. He takes off at that point, goes up the east bank of the island in that tall water, like that high water, walks around our damn boat and gets slips by Highsmith before he goes to the north end, starts busting a bunch of stuff up, comes back. He's now in the middle of the island again, heads all the way south, goes back north again. So, I mean, this is just consistent action. You can tell this deer is bumping does all over the place. And it calms down a little bit around 5 o'clock, and he's on the north end of the island. We know what end of the island the deer is on, and I have a doe that feeds within 60 yards of me for 45 minutes before she finally starts looking north, looking north. Here comes two more does. Well, at this point, the thermals are falling, and my scent goes right to the center of the island, and these does catch it, and they blow and bust out. I instantly think my hunt is over. He may get some action over there, but my hunt is over. That buck did not care. It was less than two, three minutes he was following right behind where those does had just busted through. And the one that had been sitting there hanging out with me, she left too. And he was moving just about as fast as I've ever seen a buck move without running. He wasn't running, he was trotting, but so fast. He's coming along, and he looks like he's coming five yards from my tree. So I grab my bow, I've got my release clipped on, and he takes a hard right and just swings wide. 
And it looks like he's now on a trail that's been ranged a thousand times at 20 yards. You sit there and you daydream all day. Yeah, you get in your ranges, trying to figure out where everything's at. All day. A very distinct run in that tall stuff. 20 yards, that's where he's at. That's where he's at. Well, he's moving so fast, I don't have time to analyze, is he really on that run or is he just a little bit further? I come to full draw, and this has all happened in a matter of three seconds. Him hustling, changing directions, getting wide, and then passing in front of me. Three seconds at most, from the moment I saw him to the moment I drew to the moment I meh, meh, meh. And you feel like in your head it's meh, one, one thousand, two, one thousand, release. But in reality, it's not. It's never that long. It's meh. And that's what it was. I didn't take my time. I've been thinking all day since 1140 about having a shot on this deer, truthfully, for three days, about having a shot on this deer. And seeing him in the center of the island at 60, I knew at that point, biggest deer I've ever seen on the hoof in my life. Biggest deer I've ever killed was 151. I swear this deer is bigger. I swear it with everything that's good and holy. Meh, pow. And I just see him. Woo. And I thought that he, it was the perfect reaction. I just smoked him, and he wheels, and he gets about to 60 yards, and he turns and looks at me, and it's a different side of his body I'm looking at at that point, and I'm ready to put my bow over my head and scream and just be freaking Mike Iconelli in the woods, and I notice there is no exit wound, and my heart just dropped, and I replayed it in my mind after he walked away. I, I mean, I can't fire a 60-yard shot. Ethically. I right. Can't, no, I can't, I mean, I, I can't do that. Different game if, if he's wounded. Right. Different game if he's wounded. If he, but I saw no exit wound, and I saw a deer slowly walk away. Because he even wobbled when he stopped. I thought, like, I mean, it's never been a more, like, buzzer beater in basketball moment when it rims out is exactly what it felt like times a million. And he just walked away. And I just replayed oh, it in my mind, and I know exactly what I did. A, I didn't take enough time. But if you break it down fundamentally beyond that, he was five to seven yards further than what I thought he was. He hugged, there's, there were two trees west of that run that were roughly seven yards west of that run. His rack was brushing those trees as he came through. And I remember replaying it in my mind's eye, thinking in the back of my mind, damn, he's close to those trees. Damn, he's really hugging those trees. But I kept my range at 20 where I thought that run was, or where that run was without a shadow of a doubt. And I shot just under his belly. I was not left or right. I was in the kill zone just under his belly. And he didn't react. He didn't drop. You know, right? I mean, so. No, he did not drop. He didn't drop. Had he dropped, you'd have, you'd have been lucky. Had he dropped, I'd have killed him. My, yeah. So the, the other thing, the thing I did wrong was I didn't take my time. And I don't mean take five seconds. I mean take a one, one thousand, two, one thousand. Typically, they're, if you merit and stop them, they're going to stay stopped for two or three seconds. Yeah. For sure. I should have taken it. I should have taken at least two with a deer that big. It, it is tough. I've done that same thing many, many times. Because, you know, you're, like, you're, you're right. In your mind, after you go, meh, it, it seems like it's like an eternity. eternity but it's it, not. It seems like it's forever before you release. And you're thinking at any time, i got to rush this because he's he getting ready to move. move. And then, then that could be a gut shot at yeah. that point because he yeah. takes off. I shoot him in the guts. Yeah. And that, I've done that. That's the worst feeling. So I did take solace in the fact that it was a clean miss. But – the other thing that I did wrong, in addition to not verifying where his feet were versus where I thought he was, 
was I think that I used my arms to adjust for angle instead of bending at the waist. And that's archery 101. You do not lower your arms. You bend at the waist. And replaying it in my mind's eye, I think, because I was so ready for him to be at five yards, that I just adjusted my arms and not my body. Yep. And if you if you do that, that causes more drop as well. I've, I did yep. it because I came home and I did it in the yard because I was so certain of what I did. So I got in the back of my truck and I shot to a low spot in my yard using my arms and then bending at my waist. And I replicated roughly five to six inches of difference in where my shot should have been to where it ended up. Yeah. So I, I know exactly without a shadow of a doubt what I did wrong, and there's not a damn thing I can do to change it. Well, rough hunt, but I mean – Epic hunt, great hunt, great memories. On the way yeah. out, we're heading back up, you know, after dark, back to the island. And, I mean, talk about a long hour. I see eyes on the north end of the island, so you know, because I'm looking for debris. And I shine the lights right there, and there stood that freaking buck. I mean, <laughs> lightning strike me. Dave Highsmith can vouch. There he stood, just like Washington on the Delaware, standing at the end of the boat, just watching us as we went by. And he never flinched, never budged. He knew he had beat you. Knew he had beat us. And that vision is just burnt into my mind. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, you know, it, it happens. But and that was the end of the hunt. You know, we left. We drove through the night that night. And I, I know you are notorious for, man, you, you get so invested in yeah. in the – in the results you get so invested in the results you know and if you have a negative a negative result on a hunt like that man you get in a dark place i do you get in a dark place man and it's just like talk you off a ledge you know and and i knew i was i knew it was you were gonna you're gonna have a pick me up really soon i knew it was a matter of time till you flipped the script and, and you had some success and and it didn't take long at all didn't take long it, at all. It didn't take long at all. We drove through the night. Um, that night to get back to Evansville to my truck, Dave said, I'm done. I'm not driving to Nashville, Tennessee. That's where he lives. So he gets a hotel and stays, and I am in full hate-me mode. I remember every error I made in high school, every single one of them, what it cost us, what it meant for the result of the game, all of it. I remember every one of them. That's how my mind works. I'm driven by my own failure. And, and the desire to never do it again. Whether that's work, whether that's sports, it doesn't matter. I'm driven by my own failure. Uh, I just got in the truck and I drove two hours from Evansville home. And I slept maybe an hour, hour and a half in the basement. I didn't even go to the bed because I was so ashamed to go lay in my own bed. Oh, I slept on the basement couch. I didn't want to wake my wife up, one, because she didn't know I was coming home. Truth be told, I was too ashamed to tell her I was coming home. So I drove through the night. I didn't break into my own house. I had a key. Let myself into my own house. I go to the basement. I sleep an hour and a half on the couch. I shower up, and I get back out the door before she can get up out of bed to go to work the next day because I was too ashamed to even confront her. I told her. I'd called her and talked to her on the phone, told her what happened, but I was so ashamed of what I had done. I went back to the woods, and I didn't see a deer that day, the next day when I hunted all day, or the day after that. I went three straight days without seeing a deer. With yeah, nothing so you were, but you those were at, thoughts. You were at the lowest of lows, man. You in were... the middle of November. or I mean, the, the the peak of my opinion in November. It was 7th, 8th, and 9th. I didn't see a deer. But those 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 days, 7th, 8th, and 9th, you know, typically 
great days. Historically, those are great days to be in the woods. This year, not the case whatsoever. You know, no. there, there's a few guys that are would argue and say, no, no, it was just as great as ever. By and large, most guys, those days absolutely stunk this year. And, and here's why I think they stunk. We have warmer temps. Uh, temps were above normal. Rutting activity was still taking place, but it was taking place at night. The The cameras were telling the tale. I mean, it was midnight to 4 a.m. Bucks were on the move, finding those does, chasing them around. Daylight hits, nothing. I mean, nothing. It was lonely. I mean, I felt like I was going through a breakup. And truth be told, I'm still not over it. I've, I've now since tagged a buck in Kentucky, <laughs> and I'm still not over it. Man, yeah. You, well, you, you had a successful hunt in Kentucky, so what was that like? Was that like just uh, going so, out and, uh, and getting some strange or something? And <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, go through the, we go through the following week, you know, uh, and there were some good days to hunt. So, you know, I managed to get some time out in the mornings, then, you know, go to work or vice versa, you know, be at work and then get some time in the evenings. And I saw some deer, never a buck even remotely close to shootable, but mostly just does until it finally tapered off at the end of the week. Uh, Thursday, Friday, I mean, I wasn't seeing squat, you know. And I thought, man, I I have no pattern to follow. I have no idea where a shootable buck is. Uh, And then all of a sudden, Saturday morning, I'm getting up, and I had had the thought Friday night, I need to go to Ace Hardware because I need an orange vest. Kentucky requires two articles of orange. My vest that I'd been using before was tattered, ruined. I'd thrown it away. I needed an orange vest. And I had full intentions of hunting Indiana. We had nothing going on in Kentucky. I said, but I better have an orange vest just in case I get a picture. Sure enough, I get up at 4.30 in the morning, and at 3.45 or 3.30, just before my alarm had gone off, shooter buck goes through. And I thought, well, that's all the sign I need. I don't know where a shooter buck is in Indiana. I may as well go sit over there. And it was in an area that I've had some good hunts before, but I'm the only person that's ever hunted that area of that farm. Yep. I've had some great hunts there. I saw a bird there one time. Uh, so I'm just waiting on that to turn into a good area. And you and I had walked through it a couple weeks ago, and it looked better used than it had ever had, had been. So I had confidence it would click on. We hung the camera. Luckily, the camera killed this buck, in my opinion, more than me. Uh, so I slip in there. I had the, the quickest, easiest slip into that stand I've ever had for whatever reason uh you know I don't know if I was just on my game because I was ready to not screw up but it's a very difficult stand to get to in the dark very difficult I didn't make a peep I get up the set and I had a couple does come through the first couple hours and then about 9 15 I start hearing you know that quick snap 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 grunt and a shuffling basically coming straight to me in the thickest of cover. And this stand, you can't shoot more than 25 yards. This is a <laughs> – you're wasting your time with a gun in there. Right. Coming straight at me through the thickest of the cover in there. And by the time I grab and get turned, that doe is on me and sees me moving. She takes off even quicker than when that buck was chasing her. But right behind her, just about as close as he could get, was that buck that was on camera. And at that point, I had – maybe one second to get him stopped. I actually stopped him before I drew because I didn't have time to do both at the same time. So, full draw, pressed it, game over. 60 yards. Yeah, and a nice deer, man. Piles uh, up down the ravine, and that was it. And that's the thing, you know, those those cellular cameras, they play – they can play such a huge role 
in your success. I mean, that, that happened to me last year on the deer that I killed here in Indiana. Um, the, the cellular camera went off whenever I was going to hunt a different farm and I did an about face, went over, got in a tree short time later, had that deer killed. Yeah. Camera killed it. This essentially this time of year, you really need to listen to your most recent Intel. And I had Intel that was 45 minutes old. That deer was on the move and he was looking for a doe. There's a good chance he's going to pass by you whether he finds one and bumps her that way or doesn't because it was such a thick area. 99% of hunters probably don't even hunt that stand. Don't don't hang a set there right. because it's so darn thick. And then with the foliage the way that it is, hardly anything had fallen off the trees. I mean, 25 yards was You're my widest shot. You're not going to get a big shot. visual of anything going on. There were four windows to even shoot from in the first place. Yeah. I mean, had I not had that picture, I would have had no confidence in the world a, that a deer would come through, or B, that I could even get a shot off that I did. But he just happened to go through the area that he needed to go through. It's like it was meant to be. Yeah, and that, that cell cam played a huge role, you know. It was the role. I, I had a um, an interesting hunt, uh, and, and the cell camera kind of played a role a little bit in, in my hunts over the last few days. Um, of course, this we're right now this is a Wednesday we're recording this, but this past Saturday was opening day uh, in Indiana. Took my brother out. And uh, he was able to uh, to kill a nice nice deer, uh, an eight pointer. Which th- this is going to come into play a little bit here in a little bit. But I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you, my brother, he's uh, he, he's he's a purist from the standpoint of uh, you know I, I throw my red man in when I'm in the stand and I'm spitting, and he he looks around at me and he says, "Man, you're killing my soul. You're just killing me." And I said, "What's that?" He goes, "I can't believe you're spitting. You're going to screw up everything." I was like, dude, not only will I spit, man, I'll do an airdrop right here if I have to. (laughs) Code brown. If you get a code brown, I'll do an airdrop right here. I'll I'll take a leak. I'll whip it out and take a leak here. I don't care. It doesn't matter. In my opinion, and there's people listening to this right now are going to say you're crazy. It's not that you don't believe in scent control. I do, but I just believe certain things don't bother me. I've seen enough. I know for a fact that tobacco spit, man buck juice, piss. Take a take a dookie. It, it's not going to matter at all. I, I've seen too many mature bucks not give a hoot about any of that. Walk right by it. So anyway, um, we had this conversation in the stand, and then uh, fast forward, he shoots at a spike, misses, but we thought he hit it. So we got down, we're looking, and I said, "Well, we need to walk down here and look just over the hill just to make sure." So he had to take a leak. So he goes over and he literally drops trowel and he's taking a leak right there taking a whiz and I, I walk up behind him as he's taking a leak and I was like well Tony right there's a buck 75 <laughs> yards right in front of him as he's taking a leak with his winger out and he shoots and kills that deer and so you know we recover that deer and I did said he put his wiener up I think he did okay I think he did yeah um it's I hope so because that took like 10 minutes before he took the shot so but anyway uh so I told him I was like can we put this conversation to rest that you know, taking a leak is not going to hurt anything. He's like, yeah, I guess you're probably right. Well, fast forward. Next morning, <laughs> uh, I'm next morning. I'm going to uh, I'm going to hunt a piece of property. Ironically, the same property I was going to hunt last year. Whenever I got the cell camera picture on the lease of the buck I killed, and I pull in, and I just check my cameras, and boom, on my home farm, on the Crooked Heart there, I had a picture of a buck that Savannah calls Petrie. Uh, I call we him gump. gump. Yeah, Petrie Gump, the, the running buck. Um, so I'm like, gosh, I 
can't not hunt that deer. So I turn around and I drive back home and I get in the stand. Yeah. And, booner. Uh, he's, a, he's a booner. He's, he's a booner. And um, I get in the stand shortly after daylight, look around. I got a small buck underneath me. And where I was standing in my stand, I can look back and I can see all the way across, even the front field uh, in front of the house. And sure enough, there goes old Petrie Gump running across the field after a doe. So I, I call Savannah and wake her up. It's like a little after 7 o'clock in the morning. And I said, hey, look out the window. You see see Petrie out there? And she's like, oh, my God, yeah. He's right here in the backfield. He just walked around the pond, and he went back in our woods. Well, where he went back in the woods, he was 200 yards from me and made more sense for him to come my way than it did in the other direction. I literally sat there and hunted the rest of the day on our property. I did move stands because of the wind direction shift, but – Never saw that deer again. He, I think he bedded down with a doe and just didn't move. I mean, he just, like, he vanished. Um, so the next day, um, temperatures soared on us. You know, they got, they got warm. And uh, I, you, I love a mid-November hunt whenever temperatures go up like that. You love a mid-November hunt. I, I, do, I do love mid-November hunts, but you know, I, I love it whenever the temperatures soar like that and I had green food source to hunt over, you know, and and on on the property that I went to, I had I've got basically the property's uh, been very good to you over it, the years. It has. I was I was figuring it up and I, out of that stand, that's what I would call a super stand. It's a stand that produces 10 feet off the ground. Year after year <laughs> after year. It is 10 feet off the ground. Um, but there's been eight deer, eight bucks killed out of that stand, um, in the last 10 years. And several of them have been mature bucks. I mean, just really good deer. But the reason that, that I went to this stand was I had a lot of green food source. I had, um, deadly dozen planted at each end. Uh, one of them wasn't really a deadly dozen. It was... It was similar to a deadly dozen. It was the whitetail harvest salad with oats top dressed over it. Uh, and then I had an acre or so of clover chicory in the middle of it. So I knew that warmer temps, good chance the does are going to be hitting that. You know, it's they're not going to want to go to the corn or the beans. They're going to want the green. So that's where I went. And knowing that my best chance was to find a buck that was looking in between does, basically. And where else would he want to look? He would want to look there on that green food source as well. So that's where I went. The other thing about that property is it lays out well for high-pressure days. It's, it it east, does. East winds it does. are often in our area associated with high-pressure day. Uh, you don't really get an east without high pressure. So it just really works out well for that stand it, as it well. It does. It's It's been dynamite for that. And, um, of course, that's what we had. And, and I would have, truthfully, I would have hunted on my home farm if I would have had a good east stand set up. And I didn't have it. Um, and I had no, no real recent intel that, that, you know, the big deer was there on the property still. And for all I knew, he was two miles away on, you know, found a doe and he's two miles away from there. But so I went ahead and I went to this property and set up and I felt good about it already, but I felt even better 3 PM start seeing does come out and, and hitting the green food source. And, you know, they would come out one, then two, and then two at a you know, another three came out, and then I saw a small buck come out and enter the field. And there's one location in that field that I won't say every big deer that comes into the field hits or comes out on this one location, but almost always they enter at the exact same spot. And it just so happens to be kind of over, kind of over my right shoulder. 
Um, Savannah's deer she killed last year came out mm-hmm. the exact same thing. Uh, Mad Max, if you've seen In a yep. Rut in the Mad Max video where he comes out, the first couple times we saw him and the time that I first missed, he comes out the exact same spot. Well, I had to take a leak. Like, I mean, I had to go bad. And there <laughs> were so many does. There's so many does in front of me, you know, throughout the entire hunt. I just didn't want to whip it out in front of the does, you know, and yeah, just take a leak. Yeah, certainly. You're, you're a gentleman. I am. Yeah. I want to be respectful. So the field was clear for a minute, you know, it just the does at the which I guess would be the north end, they exited the field. So, man, I dropped trout and whipped her out, you know. And uh, <laughs> and as soon as I did, I glanced over my right shoulder, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Big deer entered the field. So, I mean, I get the camera on him, and instantly, I thought whenever I first saw him, I thought 130-inch 10-pointer, but good enough. You know, I mean, I wanted to – I saw him, I wanted to shoot him. Good-looking deer. Uh, get the camera rolling, get him in frame, grab the gun, uh, get it up. And, you know, I, I shoot I shoot my guns every year, day before gun season comes in, mm-hmm. so I make sure they're dialed in. And, of course, that's not under duress. That's shooting with a, on a table on a good rest. And, man, I was dialed in. You know, my 44, I'm dialed in. I mean, I hit bullseye. Well, that's that's what surprised yards. me was you chose the forty four instead of the thirty out six. I did well. The thirty out six, um, well, for one, it'll kick the thunder out of you, and it, to me, that's a little bit more of a a longer range gun. Sure. And I knew just the way this field set up, this food plot, my farthest shot's going to be a hundred yards, absolute max, hundred yards. Whether it's south end, north end, it's hundred yards or less. So I felt the way that I shot the forty four, bullseye at a hundred yards. That's my gun. I'm taking that to that field. So that's what I took. And, uh, you know, when I, I first pulled up, got the crosshairs on him, I thought, eh, I'm going to go ahead and dial a scope up to nine. He was at ease, you know. I dialed it up to nine, put the crosshairs on him, squeezed the trigger. Pow! And the deer didn't even move. Like, I'm, like, having flashbacks of last year, you know, like, or Mad Max, or yeah, I'm yeah. like, what the hell happened? And I tell you what happened. Did it I take get, your time, dude? It's it's not even that with me. I get, I get, I have some major buck anxiety. You know, I do. I've been doing. I used this, to tease you. I can no longer. Been doing this thirty plus years, and I get just so freaking worked up when a big deer steps out. It's understandable. You work hard for him too. It's not just that it's a big deer. It's yeah. how hard you work. I, I guess so, man, but I just, you know, fate, you know, the good Lord looking out for me, whatever you want to call it. Two years it, in a row. Two years in a row, that deer didn't even move. He just stood there. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, reload. <laughs> and this is a break stock gun. Yeah. Single shot. Single shot. So I, I put another shell in it, and, uh, you know, the second shot squeezed off. It dropped him in his tracks. But I totally whiffed on the first shot. Didn't even graze him. Didn't even graze him. I put it back on slow-mo and watched the footage, and shot just underneath his brisket, you know? I mean, it's like you can see the compression almost move his hair, just the air from it just moved the hair on his chest, but didn't even didn't even touch him. And uh, But second shot brought him down, and uh, just a beautiful deer. Oh, I, I'm goodness. tickled to death when it didn't – I went back through some pictures of last year, uh, 2020, because I didn't run any cameras in 2021. Don't have a single 
camera picture from this year at all on that property. In 2020, I have quite a bit of summer footage of him uh, on, you know, not cell camera, but, you know, video camera. So mode. how old do you think he is? I think he's a four-year-old. Um, I think he was three in 2020. I think he's a four-year-old, but just a chocolate rack. You know, he had 11 scorable points. Uh, I did just a rough gross score of him. Scored right at 148. Ironically, I mean, he's almost a twin to the buck I killed in Kentucky a few years ago uh, called Rhino. You know, he just, I mean, just almost, you put them side by side and they look. See, Rhino, to me, I thought he, he was just a touch narrower and taller, though. He's not? No, no. He's okay. uh, he's actually got, they've got the exact same spread. Hmm. They're, they're both 17 inches. Um Tine length is almost identical. The actual, the buck that I killed last night uh, has a little bit longer threes than Rhino has, but a little bit shorter fours. But overall, I mean, the brow tines, exactly the same. And maybe that's what makes me think Rhino was taller is his fours, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, his fours were, were a little bit t- longer. Okay. So Either way, both of them freaking hammers. I mean, in my I, opinion, obviously – it's all on where you're at, the quality of bucks you're able to hunt. A 148 in this area is a freaking hammer. We don't have the best. I'll take of that it, to the I, grave. I will. You know the 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 little pocket that we hunt in. Um, I won't say it's great by any means, but I will say this: it's getting better. It the the quality, and that's a whole different conversation. But well, and you're getting better. That's I, the other part. Well, I. I'll take that. I mean, I have to. Daggone, if you do something for 30 years, you better get better at it or give it up or something. But um, I, I do think that's a that's that's played a big role in it. And that just, you know, and you can fail at something so many times. Sooner or later, you learn what not to do. Um, sure. So you don't fail as often. But uh, it's, I tell you what, it's a heck of a lot more enjoyable whenever you're successful. At least every <laughs> once in a while, you know what I mean. Well, you have a you have a knack for getting it done. I, I've uh, lovingly called you the closer over the last several years because you uh, you tend to to do so late in the game. You, you've been known to shoot deer in muzzleloader season. Uh, you know, just when things seem to be at their biggest of the struggle, you usually find a way to fill a tag. You, you just do. You're kind of the closer. Now, it's uh, sometimes it's interesting. Last year was interesting. Last night was interesting. But you get it done. Uh, and it's – you said earlier something, I think, in, in text message about, uh, you know, that you, you should have success because of the time you've put in. And, and I understand what you mean. You know, you learn what not to do. But, um, you know, time doesn't necessarily equate to success – Effort and intelligence do, and putting yourself in a position to succeed, and you repeatedly do that. So uh, I would urge you to give yourself a little credit from time to time. Well, you know, I uh, I'm I'm happy. You know, I'm proud. I uh, now I'm uh, I'm going to be moving on to Kentucky and seeing if I can't do what you did over there and find uh, you know find a good one to shoot. So I'm I'm keeping an eye on that cam. It unfortunately has gone quiet the last 24 hours. Yeah, figures. I mean, it's but. You know, it's that's part of it, and I'll just enjoy getting over there and and seeing what uh, seeing what we see. And who knows, this this may be our last hoorah over there. I mean, we thought last year was. Um, it very well may be the, the end of the it last for us. hurrah is I coming. I, I would have it, expected. You can see it. the writing on the wall. The writing is on the wall. It, well, it's it's been said verbal <laughs> verbally. It's been said. Writing's in in the air now too. Uh, we just don't know when it's going to be. 
Yeah, the same can be said for our Indiana lease. Which is a heartbreaker. Just built a house a mile and a half from it. Uh, even just, The location is one part of it, but just the property's amazing. The fishing is great. The convenience is great. We share it. I love that part about it. Uh, just it, a heartbreaker it, yeah, to lose it, that. It's right between our houses. I mean, it's flat. Yeah, it, it is. Flat it's a little closer to you, but I mean, still, it's not far away at all. And great location. It's it's been everything that a person could dream of in a leased property. Um, I mean, it had it all. You know, I, I don't know that we fully utilized it. We utilized it very well. You know, but sure. it, you talk about it, it's an excellent fishery from. Bluegill, crappie you can catch at will, uh, good bass population. Seven, eight, nine-pounders in there. Yeah, there's some really good bass. And then, uh, you know, so you, you get to utilize the fishing all year, and then you get into, uh, you know, deer season, and it's been a great deer hunting property. You killed your biggest buck there. Yep, I killed a 160 on there. Can't complain about that whatsoever. There's We've, we've both uh, – well, I haven't killed a turkey on that property, but you have. Yep. Oh, I did. I did too. You did. Yeah, I did. Mm-hmm. I killed a turkey on their property, so um, yeah, we've we've killed deer and turkey there, and um, it's it's been a great property. I'm hate looking to for, see it go. But. I hate to see it go. Um, I, I'm not quite over that yet either, but uh, I'm I'm compiling a list of properties that I think we need to look at. But before we get to or have to say goodbye to this one, I I absolutely think we've got to go on one more doe hunt together there. Oh, absolutely, yeah. We've got good numbers. I, I feel it's no shame at all in going in, going out there and just uh, just having some fun with it. Well, I mean, I've I've got one buck that's going in the freezer. I need some more meat, and you know whether I tag a, a buck in Indiana or not, who knows? Uh, but I'm darn sure going to give it a shot on the does. Well, whenever whenever you're ready, man. I well, well I'm we'll thinking this weekend. It. I I'm I'm ready almost. I mean, I'm gonna. I, I've got some buck hunts ahead of me for sure, but. Uh, just man, got to get that meat in the freezer. Well, we got some time to do it, but who knows how much time? I don't know. There's no signs up yet. Uh, property's going up for sale. We were just notified. So, yep. Um, 140 acres. It's uh, thirty, whatever a, it is. It's a darn good piece of property, and um, I think it'll sell. Yeah, I I would have to think so. Any anybody with a hint of outdoorsman in them is going to fall in love with that in a heartbeat. And not to toot our own horn, but if they take a loop around the property and take a look at some of the things we've, we've done there, they're going to love it even more. It's, it's, you know, it's going to show its potential. There's been some vast improvements done on the property. There's going to be a lot of work for us to pull tree stands out of that. Yeah. And, and get them, I guess over here in this pole barn until we can find a home for them. Yeah. It's not a, it's not going to be a one day project. No, that's gonna that's gonna be two or three. Yeah, you know, and sure then will. and then think about two or three days worth in Kentucky. I can think of at least two sets over there that I think I'm gonna donate. <laughs> I don't I don't <laughs> know that I want to go back on that ridge. Uh, it's it's a haul, isn't it? Yeah, there's sure no, no good way in or out. So, all right, let's let's transition this to how are we gonna kill one in the states we have left? You've got a Kentucky tag left. I've got an Indiana tag left. We had a shooter buck, darn nice one on that same camera in Kentucky two days ago that I said. That was you. a good one. It sure uh, was. I'd I, say it, man. I, I don't know. I haven't haven't looked at wind directions for t- tomorrow yet. So, I mean, I'm just going to play the wind, and I'm going to get in a, get in one of those funnels where mm-hmm. I can see a little ways and uh, 
you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be toting the 30 out 6 over there and see if I can't reach out and touch one. So I, needless to say, you're not going to the bird block then for a 25-yard no, shot. No, no, I don't, I don't think I'm going to the bird block. Um, now, that, that might be different if you get, you know, you get a fresh yeah, picture I mean, of a, a shooter in there, then I might just stumble in there with the 44 and try to do it that way. But um, most likely I'll, uh, you know, I'll go to the corner post or lawyer lane stand or, you know, I might even go back on the ridge and sit back there. You know, had a great encounter last year, uh, mid-October, with a big non-typical back there. Well, that, with Bird. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I might go back in there, but uh, I'm probably just going to bounce around and just see what happens. Well, the bottoms over there still has corn. That's true. And it's tight on that corn in a, in a funnel that would be a great travel corridor from corn to wherever the heck they may want to go from there. Uh, That's so. true. You, you've got some. You've got some options over there. We don't have enough surveillance over there. That's the other part, unfortunately. Uh, well, I think I'm gonna take. Um, I think I'm gonna go ahead and take a couple of my cell cams might that as well. I have uh, on my property that I own, and instead of uh, leaving them out there, I'll just put regular cameras around the property there, and then I'll uh, take the cell cams over to uh, Kentucky and see what shows up, and kind of do it that way. Um, well, Indiana-wise. We haven't had a mature shooter buck on camera on the lease since November 5th, to my knowledge, on any of my cameras. And I haven't had one here on my home farm since before that. Yeah. <laughs> so I've really got no idea what to do. Well, I, I tell you, man, it's, it's going to be one of those deals where uh, one's going to show up. Um and and I've got a couple properties too we need to look at you know to see if something pops in there that uh, that you can absolutely get on and hopefully fill a tag if you know if one doesn't show up on these so we got some options there we're just gonna have to see what shows up and when they mm -hmm. show up and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, and react so it, it, th that's the beautiful thing man this time of year this I will. Guys will 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 say over and over again first week in November seventh through the ninth they'll tote that they'll they'll talk about that over and over and over again and I will steadfastly disagree that those are the best days and for me because I'm not targeting one deer right now if I was targeting one specific animal sure maybe I would tend to think that first week in November as soon as they start cruising more looking well, for those when, when I killed ghosts right across the road here. Yeah, I was targeting one was deer. You targeting that deer. And it happened on November the 8th. I'm looking for a mature deer, and for my money, a mature deer, it is between the 15th and the 22nd of November without fail every single year. I get opportunities that week. And, and the reason being is they get out of that lockdown period they start going between does. There's less does that are in heat at that time, and they almost are similar searching. to the third through the sixth kind of deal. Similar to that, except they've already had a taste. Man, mm -hmm. it's like that drug addict that just they're feeding. <laughs> man, they've already had a taste. It's not if it's out there; they know it's out there. They're searching hard for it, and they're moving desperately they're seeking. They're desperately seeking, absolutely. They're just absolutely desperately seeking it. Well, and I'm looking forward to giving it a shot. Uh, the the forecast the next few days is pretty darn good. So we're rolling into the second weekend of gun season. Obviously, most guys, if they were going to take off work, probably did at the start of the week, and maybe they took the whole week. But the pressure 
Monday through Friday is not going to be what the pressure is, hunter pressure, right. Saturday, Sunday. Right. To me, that's a window. I, I know it doesn't matter as much when they're desperately seeking. They're going to run rampant to a degree, but it does matter some. I think there's a window tomorrow and Friday, and there's a 20-degree temperature drop from this moment to first light in the morning, and it doesn't get any warmer tomorrow. It's going to get on. It's going to I on. think it's going to get on. It's a little bit of a higher wind day. Uh, at I think the middle part of the day it gets up 10, 12 miles an hour, but the first several hours of light are kind of that sweet spot, 7 to 10. And then Friday, uh, there's a wind direction change. It goes basically from a west to an east, and that pressure gets to 30.50 oh, yeah. on Friday. It's going to be uh, Same rocking. temps, I mean, in the 20s in the morning. I mean, it's going to – I think the next two days are going to be really good. Yep, it's going to be good. For sure. Well, we'll keep you up to speed. Keep an eye on our social media. Uh, text us, tweet us, uh, message us, carrier pigeon. On that, on that note, uh, I want to throw something out here because uh, I did have a uh, a young listener that sent uh, sent us a message, and I told him that I wanted to give him a shout out on our next podcast okay and uh because he he absolutely killed a really nice deer young 12 year old gentleman i saw that picture yeah he's so decked out in sick gear too. no actually that's that's a different fellow that's different fella. yeah that's okay. braxton barger but braxton did a, a fantastic job and braxton killed a sitting by himself uh braxton killed uh killed that buck and did it all on his uh by himself you know his his dad told me that you know he wasn't wasn't bragging on him, but you know at the same time, man did it by himself sitting in the tree stand. But uh, this is this is a shout out to young Caleb Coates. Caleb, twelve-year-old uh, Caleb, uh, saw he saw the post of Braxton and he sent sent us a message and he's like, hey, can you make a post for me? And I said, Caleb, I'm gonna do you one better. On the very next podcast, I want to mention it to you. That's I want cool. I want to know how your hunt went. How did you kill that deer? So he told me, you know, as soon as they he, he was with his uncle and they get settled into the stand, and the first thing that happened, he heard what he thought was some squirrels rustling around a little bit over there. But he looks over his shoulder, and no, it was not squirrels. Those it big was, mature squirrels. <laughs> it was uh, it was a nice buck, and uh, Caleb. Gave him the what for as soon as he saw him. So Good for you, shout Caleb. out to young Caleb Coates, man. Uh, Good job, Caleb. Deer. Where's Caleb from? I don't know. I don't know. Let's see if we can tell where Caleb's from. I'm not even sure. Um, I don't know. Caleb, send us a message. Tell us where you're from, buddy. We'll mention that yeah. <laughs> on the next one. <laughs> on the next one, I'm not sure where Caleb's from. That I, I love to. I love to see young folks getting as passionate about it. You know, because I got started late. I know how passionate yeah. I am at. You know, I consider myself pretty youthful at 30, but, uh, you know, I've not been at this very long, and I, I can only imagine starting out that young and, and how jazzed up they're going to be for years now after finding some good success Oh, like yeah, that. absolutely. So, yeah, anybody else, you know, send us some messages. I would love to share your story here on Pro Talk Outdoors a little bit. Sure. Well, hey, he's Dave. I'm JP. Until next time, hook em or hunt em, Pro Talk Outdoors. Later, guys. 